This podcast is brought to you by Modest Coffee, single origin coffee without the snobbery. Go to www.modest.coffee forward slash no bad reviews to see what coffees they're roasting today. Cheers! And welcome to No Bad Reviews, colon, a coffee podcast. This is a podcast where three friends, co-workers, and coffee industry professionals get together every other week and explore this world we live in, past, present, and future, using coffee as our inspiration. And we commit to giving coffees and just everything and everybody No Bad Reviews. Wait, everybody? It's yeah. going to be really good, easy in this episode, right, Oh, man. Steph? Thanksgiving episode? No problemo. It's yeah. going to be fine. There's going to be plenty of things that get no bad reviews, I'm sure. You know, just put a little dollop of Cool Whip on it, and we're good. You know? Sure. I'm Jenny. And I run the operations at a coffee company called Modest Coffee. And I'm Marcus. And I, you know, I'm like Toucan Sam. I just follow my nose. <laughs> And I'm Stephanie, and I feel super legit this week because I roasted some coffee. Yeah, yeah. I roasted coffee this week, too. Oh, my God. We're all roasting coffee. We still need you, Marcus. No, I'm recovering from the flu. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I that know. was terrible. It was so, brutal. Yeah, yeah, me and Steph covered all of Marcus's work this week. Yeah, I, I mean, I covered a tiny bit of work. And not a single fire, by the way. Oh, Woo! that's surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Four roast zero fires. It's like my best day ever. That's for great. Good job. <laughs> yeah. You should really learn how to ro- roast on Big Red. That thing does not get fires hardly ever. I was holding out for the big, big roaster. Yeah. yeah. Papa Bear. Big Papa. Big Papa. Yeah, Big Papa. Big Papa Bear. <laughs> we couldn't settle on a single name. <laughs> <laughs> Teresa, Teresa is the one who made up both names. Oh, yeah, so first she called it Papa Bear, and then when she met it in person, she was like, no, this is Big Papa. Mm. So, I like it when you call me Big Papa. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's uh, Big Papa's Teresa's namesake. Maybe she should learn how to roast on it then, actually, <laughs> and leave me completely out of this equation. You know, maybe we'll just do some cross, uh, cross-departmental cross training. That's right. And everybody will learn. <laughs> what are we doing next? Business? Business. You know, it's getting really chilly outside, so uh-huh. if you go to our store tab, you can get some really nice sweatshirts and hoodies and things. We've got the bright green ones. Those are kind of like a, a, a very warm polyester. Very warm. Very, very warm. warm. They're great for these cold weather days. For real. We also have some like nice like gray cotton and a pink crop cotton mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. sweatshirt. So we've got some nice things, some sweatpants. Um, and if you blink, you missed the 87% genocide free t-shirt it's sold out like immediately <laughs> super um, popular you know so jenny are we gonna get more this week <laughs> we're gonna get some more up uh definitely something yeah maybe for the holidays cool hmm. and then holidays the holidays holiday t-shirt. <laughs> it's great <laughs> um what else oh something that steph and i were talking about i don't 
Marcus was on the text thread too, but Marcus just never checked. Read them. He doesn't yeah. check text messages. It's too much. So technically, <laughs> me and Steph are texting. We want to do an advice column episode. So send us your questions. They can be coffee related. Coffee related is great. If you have like, um, I was inspired to do this because someone asked me a Christmas gift related coffee question, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, we should answer some people's questions for the holidays. Yeah. I would say... Dear Abby, is that... Dear Jenny and Dear Jenny. Steph. Dear Jenny and, and Steph. Marcus. Yeah. <laughs> dear dear uh, NBR crew. No yeah. bad reviews crew. Um, Please I would, keep it to relationship advice only, though. I, you know <laughs> what? what? I thought it was coffee advice. It's relationship advice and coffee advice. You okay. know what? I want any advice. I got lots of opinions. I think that we could really help people out with just about anything in their lives. It's <laughs> true. Yeah. So send your questions, any question. It could be coffee-related. It could be relationship. It could be financial. <laughs> well, we've got great advice there. Yeah, We're all real. great what with about, money. Yeah. <laughs> Business advice? Yeah. I how, mean, to, how to raise your kids? I know. Ask me something about economics. I'm, I'm, I slept through that entire class in college. Because you already knew everything. Yeah. Got Look, like a C plus. Good job. I can say that we've been doing this podcast for like eight months. No, like 10 months now. Wow. I think we're like, we're, you're definitely an economics major, Steph. Yeah. Um, Oh, boy. So, yeah, send us any questions. Hello at nobadreviewspodcast.com, or you can send it to us on social media. Slide into our DMs at nobadreviewspod. Also, you can support us on Patreon or buymeacoffee.com. Both of those are. Dot com slash no bad reviews pod. Um, so yeah, that's our business. I don't have any clarifications. My whole episode today is a clarification gone wild. Yeah. <laughs> um, are there are there boobs? <laughs> no, it's not that kind of wild. Oh, gone wild. <laughs> I just got that joke. That's an old one. Uh, from, you had to be born in the 90s and At watching least. E on cable. Possibly even earlier, the 80s. Yeah, I mean, you had to be around watching TV in the 90s to get that joke. Late at night, yeah. yes. We did that Vita Cup episode a few weeks ago. We did. Yeah, and um, we talked about Brandon Fishman. And he's like an interesting guy. He had like a fascinating career history. You should go listen to the episode. But in a nutshell, he was vitamin deficient. He had the idea to mix vitamins into his coffee. It's now the number one selling coffee on Amazon. I just read that vitamin B3 mm-hmm. is known as like being discovered to increase your cancer risk, like a significant <gasps> oh, no. amount. Oh, shit. You may want to watch out for that Vitacup coffee. Because Wasn't there like 7,000% of your daily B3 in each coffee pot? I can't remember. <laughs> it was like a bunch of different B vitamins. Also, so I started going down a little rabbit hole. It turns out a lot of these B vitamins are actually not that great for you. I would maybe watch out for uh, coffees that have excessive amounts of B vitamins added to them. And maybe you should talk to a doctor before taking B vitamins or yeah. drinking them in your coffee. I wonder if that's going to come with one of those California labels. Like, this product contains <laughs> something that... They like, yeah. to cause the by the state of California to cause cancer. Yeah. Thanks, California. Coming to you. Wow. Clarification within a clarification. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Jenny. Yeah. Clarificationception. Wow. <laughs> That's good to know. Yeah. I'm like freaking out about my multivitamin now. I'm gonna go home and look into it. Yeah, definitely check into it. 
Okay, so we're talking about Brandon Fishman and his like life story or whatever. And Jenny said, I bet his family came over on the Mayflower. Okay. As like a joke. Yeah. And I said, Oh, yeah, because we, and then we had a discussion about maybe he's actually Jewish. Right. Fishman's more of a Jewish name. Right. And then, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I right. remember. And I said, There were no Jews on the Mayflower. And I, I heard myself say these things Fishman's Jewish, right? And <laughs> it was after the episode had aired when I listened to it. And I was like, Well, Better fact check that, right? <laughs> so Fishman, this is more of a non-clarification because I have no idea if Brandon Fishman is Jewish or if his family came over <laughs> on the Mayflower. I like to not specifically look into Brandon. Yeah. Yeah. Because who cares? Fishman can be a Jewish name. It can be a German name. Hmm. It can be both. It's not necessarily both. Uh-huh. There uh-huh. were no Fishmans on the Mayflower. Nope. And <laughs> no there were no, there. no Jews on the Mayflower. I was correct about that. No surprise 100%. there either. Right. Oh, can I say this is our Thanksgiving episode? So, so Steph, you know, as we've started this clarification-ception, <laughs> when she started clarifying, she was like, oh, this would make a great Thanksgiving episode. And then we decided... What we should, or what stuff's great idea, really. It's not, I can't take credit for this. She thought it would be a great idea to have um, an, a Native American Indian roasted coffee as the coffee we're going to try today. So Love we it. have that. It's a company called Native Coffee, and it's their Even Star Organic Blend that we're going to be trying toward, at the end of this episode. And I can't wait to get to that because I don't want to get your hopes up, but this might be a really good coffee yeah. it might be right i mean i have high hopes for it yeah. um it it tells me this flavorful roast rises to the expectations of a beautiful night huh. we can drink it in the morning it's gonna be fine yeah yeah it's cool <laughs> all right so bring us back so um no Jews on the mayflower no right? Jews on the mayflower but this is where i like fell down into this crazy rabbit hole it's not like a weird anti-Semitic Alex Jones Jewish space lasers rabbit hole. I just want to like reassure our listeners that that's like not where I'm going. What? Yeah. I thought that's what we were doing today. <laughs> our anti-Semitic Jewish Thanksgiving episode. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's and not which who reminds we... me, we do have a special guest. Ye, come on out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's shy. <laughs> Since when? <laughs> That's the best way I've ever heard Kanye West described. <laughs> he's shy. He'll talk later. Yeah, he's being shy right now. <laughs> All right. So there is a Mayflower Society that is made up of ancestors of people who are on the Mayflower. That's so funny that they have a Mayflower Society. Right. They've got a website. It's very fancy. Wow. Yeah. A bunch of these people did DNA tests Uh to try to figure out, like just to find out as much as they could about the people who were on the Mayflower. And it turns out that quite a few of them had Jewish ancestry. Oh. Interesting. right? But where are those... like hidden Jew? Was that Jewish ancestry from the Mayflower descendants? Yes. They had like the names of the people on the Mayflower who they could trace Jewish ancestry. Okay. So they traced through those. Okay. So um, 
Judaism was outlawed in the 1200s in England. So it's likely that the people on the Mayflower didn't even know they had Jewish ancestry. Oh, like okay. 350 years beforehand, their family converted or pretended to convert at first. But eventually, I mean, how do you like hide Judaism for 400 so, years, right? right. You just a- convert eventually. So they didn't, they probably didn't know that they had Jewish ancestry. But also, the people on the Mayflower had a huge fascination with Judaism because the deal with the pilgrims was like their their whole like religious deal, their issue with England was they didn't want the Pope to read the Bible and explain it to them. They didn't want the king especially, to be like giving his interpretation of the Bible. They wanted to be able to read the Bible themselves and interpret it for themselves. Mm. And the king was like, off with their heads. Right. Unacceptable. You will like hear my version of this religion or none at all. So weird. So they didn't go straight from England to the United States. They went to Holland. Like the pilgrims lived in Holland for 15 years Holland was totally cool about it. They were like, we have religious freedom. You may come here. Everything was fine for 15 years. When you picture a pilgrim, do you picture wooden shoes? No, I don't. (laughs) When you just said that, I was like, oh, I see this whole outfit in my head. Like black and then the little hat and then Dutch wooden shoes. Huh. I don't know if that's true. I guess I can also picture like, you know, those like... Pilgrim shoes, too. Yeah, I guess I would picture leather, but... Um, With, like, a big buckle? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that just... Yeah. I, th- I think that might not be real, though. I, I don't, think that... I don't know if any... What's, what's real? What, <laughs> foot, what footwear is real? I did not look into um, their Pilgr- outfits Pilgrim fashion? Yeah, Clothes. no. Sorry. Okay, well, we're going to have or to have shoes. a clarification. <laughs> so everything's going fine in Holland. And then Spain wants to invade Holland. And Holland doesn't have the military to fight off Spain. And England says, we'll help you fight Spain. You only have to do one favor for us and outlaw any religion that disagrees with the King of England. It's like, They're like persecuting them pilgrims, I mean, they? it, They're like, fuck you. When I hear Christian persecution, I kind of laugh like... You know, like Starbucks put happy holidays on their mugs and the Christians are being persecuted or whatever. But this was like legit. The king really hated these people. He was after them. There were only like four (laughs) or five hundred of them. This is so petty. I know. I was just about to say this fucking king is petty AF. Right. Exactly. You have everything you could possibly need. And he's like, you know what? Fuck that small, tiny ass group of people in particular. They don't want to do what I say right. off with their fucking heads. Right. And he's going to go and intervene in a war? Right. Just right. like between two people, that, two countries he's got nothing to do with over these people? Over these oh, 450 fucking assholes. Man, yeah. what, a, what, what an asshole. Look, I mean, they had no internet back then or like any form of diversion. It was probably like a fucking like... I feel like this is like... It's probably a, fun for him. I feel like this is like the OG Donald Trump. I know. Right? It does it's, sound really Trumpy. That's funny. <laughs> All right, so they're in Holland. Now they have to leave Holland. And the Mayflower actually did take off from England. Like, they had to go back to England to get the boat. Did you know there were two boats originally? Two Mayflower boats? I think I knew that. I feel like that sounds familiar. It was the Mayflower and the Speedwell. They were both traveling together with the pilgrims 
to the New World. From Holland. From it, They had actually come from Holland back to England to get the boats because the boats were mm. English boats. Okay. So the king was going to let them go out on English boats though? I guess so. They had an agreement. Um, the people on the Mayflower had an agreement with a British company that owned, quote unquote, the land in Virginia where they were supposed to go. Mm. And their deal was they could stay on that land if they sent, like, furs and corn back to this company. Mm. So their agreement was with the British company, and I guess the king wasn't willing to interfere in that. Like, maybe it was fine with the king if they were just going to the New World. Enough is enough with these right. people. Yeah, right. and he was, like, fine. They're probably yeah. not going to die yeah, anyways exactly. in the first winter, so. Right. Well. Might th- solve two problems. The pilgrims were not the first settlers, right? They were just the first ones who didn't all die the first winter. Uh-huh. There were at least a couple of other settlements before that that just, like, did not go well. Yeah, so he's like, fuck it. <laughs> right, go. right, right. And the pilgrims knew this, right? The pilgrims knew that it was, like, not a safe voyage and that their chances were bad. And the leader of the pilgrims, John Robinson, it was his idea to go. And then at the last minute, he was like, hmm. Actually, I'm going to stay back with the others who can't travel. You guys go ahead and go without me. <laughs> Total pussy. So um, <laughs> they... How did he hook up with Pocahontas? I don't think that's the same guy. You're talking about John Smith. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Different right. John. Lots of Johns out there in this story. Right. So um, only 150 of the pilgrims can afford... like they raise a bunch of money and only 150 of this like four or 500 can go. So they get on these two boats, the Mayflower and the Speedwell. They take off. The Speedwell springs a leak. They turn around and go back. They fix the Speedwell. They leave. It springs another leak. They turn around and go back. They fix it a second time. They set sail again. It springs a leak. Oh, shit. A third time. Wow. So they go back. Who made this boat? Yeah, the English. The English. (laughs) They go back and decide that's it. We're not going to take the Speedwell. We're just going to take the Mayflower. So like 30 people from the Speedwell hop on board the Mayflower and the rest stay behind. So now they've wasted all this time. They're leaving like two months late. That's why they arrived in November. That wasn't the intention. I mean, even leaving like... Two or three months before November, still not good. You still gotta, not ideal. You, but yeah. then again, I guess if you're traveling across the Atlantic, you probably got to wait for like ice to melt and shit. Mm. You know what I mean? So it's probably a safer voyage leaving uh. after, like summer after. I mean, we've all seen Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah. So they set sail late and they're overcrowded. They have more people on the boat than they're supposed to. And they've also already like... It's not like they got back to England and got a hotel room while the Speedwell was being fixed. They've been living on the boat for two months before they even officially make the voyage. And they've eaten two months' worth of provisions before they've made the voyage. That sucks. Yeah. So they're starting out in a bad place. Ten-week voyage. They're supposed to land in Virginia. They land in Cape Cod. They know it's the wrong place. That's what, Maryland? No. Massachusetts. Massachusetts? An M Mm. state. And I'm state. It's one of them. I'm the states same. up there. So they try to come down to Virginia, but though it's so cold, the water's so rough, stormy, everything's bad. They're like, fuck it, we're just gonna stay here. But they don't have 
like anyone in charge of them there. Like the whole deal was they were going to Virginia and there was like may there was like a governor there. Mm. Like there was some, like some infrastructure. Sort of yeah. yeah. I don't it wasn't like a settlement necessarily, but there was something there. And like for a former settlement that everyone had or whatever. <laughs> but at least there's um, something. There's something right. there. And there are rules that they're supposed to follow. Like the there's like an established set of laws and government that comes from this company mm. that is under England's purview or whatever. Isn't this strange? It is. This whole situation is strange. <clears throat> but they land on Cape Cod and they decide to stay there. And now they're like, before we get off the boat, we need to kind of decide what's what and who's in charge and how we're doing this. So first of all, they had on the Mayflower at least two copies of the Talmud, which is the Jewish Bible, which is Hmm. basically like the Old Testament written in Hebrew, basically. Interesting. So two copies. Two copies, because this was like their deal. They wanted to interpret it for themselves. Uh And if they had the original Hebrew text, Mm. not the King James version or any shit, then they could really interpret God's word for themselves. That makes sense. They also, it kind of does, right? Yeah, I mean, like, try to go back as OG as possible. Yeah. So, I mean, this would have been the book that Jesus was reading. Yeah. Right? Sure. Hey, he was the best Jew. Look, I agree with this. I agree with this line of thinking. As far as religions go, yeah, it kind of makes sense. So they they all, before they get off the boat, have to sign the Mayflower Compact. And by all, I mean all the men, obviously, yeah. because yeah. why well, does a woman need to sign anything? Yeah. Um, Might be illegal for her to sign something at that point. Yeah, yeah really. Right. So this is Witch. basically... Witchcraft. <laughs> Witchcraft. <laughs> she how does she know how to in. sign? <laughs> <laughs> So they come up with this Mayflower Compact that's basically straight out of Jewish law. Yeah. They sign it, they get off the boat, and they say a Hebrew prayer of Thanksgiving. It is the official Jewish prayer that you say at the end of a long voyage. L'chaim. (laughs) (laughs) That's almost accurate. So, um... Yeah, the pilgrims really, like, saw a lot of parallels between themselves and the biblical Israelites who were, like, searching for a new Jerusalem or whatever. So this was how they, this is who they were, like, comparing themselves to. They, like, saw themselves as, like, reliving this same type of situation, and this was all God's will, and they were, um... They were doing a lot of, like, rituals and ceremonies in addition to just, like, the prayer that came straight out of Judaism because they were, try- because they were trying to be, like, OG, right? That's so crazy. Will- wow. I am so surprised that you're, like, like this whole Jewish, small Jewish comment about the fishman yeah. guy has, like, led to so much that was actually accurate and strangely important. Isn't it weird? You know how so you weird. Google something and it just goes... Yeah. And it keeps going and you're like, holy <laughs> shit. Oh, my God. Um, William Bradford was uh, one of the pilgrims who ended up taking over when the guy in charge died. Hey. I didn't write his name down. But I got a splinter or something. He, yeah. <laughs> he was um he was especially into this. He like learned some Hebrew. He knew like a thousand words in Hebrew. Hmm. He was like really serious about it. So that's I think that's it for like the Jewish connection. 
the last thing I wanted to say about the pilgrims, two things. There are two reasons why the pilgrims were the first ones to, like, survive this. Um, oh, I know. It's because the um, Native American Indians came along and were like, oh, my God, we feel so bad for you. Like, let's have dinner together and we will totally rescue you and save you. <gasps> oh, my gosh. You're so close. That's to what accurate. I learned. In- I thought it was going to be <laughs> their fervent, um, like, prayer and that God saved them. You know, in a way, you're both right. Yeah. Well, that's um, what I learned in school in the American education system. It's, it's um, of the 1980s. There's a grain of truth to it. There's a grain of truth to that. So the Wampanoag people are who lived there. Um, Patuxet is what Plymouth was called before the pilgrims decided to change the name. Mm. Um, They were living there and their numbers had been completely decimated by disease brought by previous colonists. Oh, the Native Americans? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. The Wampanoag people were like... Oh, Hardly like, any left. Like smallpox and all that? Yeah. 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 So um, because so many of them had died, they didn't really have like the warriors to fight off mm. the pilgrims. And that's why they were nice to them. Yeah. It was like, I wouldn't say nice. I would say they agreed not to fight. Mm-hmm. You know, they were sure. like tolerant of each other out of necessity. The other reason the pilgrims survived the first winter is because God provided them with bushels of corn that he placed under small hills so they could find it easily. Oh, wow. So the indigenous people would bury their dead with offerings. Oh, shit. Oh, boy. Oh, you don't want to eat that corn. That is the corn that saved them. That is the corn they planted in the spring. The pilgrims were... Death corn. Grave robbers. This is really... That's fucked up. This is creepy and dark. But, you know, it's not like they were going to use it. So... (laughs) This, if you're... I mean, like, if you're super into pilgrims, that's cool. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. They were, like, grave robbers who were really into Judaism. So just know that. (laughs) Just know that about the pilgrims. I guess, like, let's just talk about this, though. Like, if you're facing winter and you have no food, and there was, like, a grave that was full of food... A fresh grave. Are they fresh or are they not? I mean, corn probably dries out. And yeah, is good. yeah, like dried corn. I mean, they yeah. were eating dried corn. They weren't eating fresh corn. Ever. Right. Sweet corn wasn't a thing. It's a yeah. crazy newfangled hybrid. So sure. it was always dried corn. Okay. But. Yeah, so, you know, that's fine. It's cold. They find it, a little dirt, dust that shit off. I guess, you know, like, it's a you know. gift from God. It was probably in a basket. It probably They probably didn't have to, like, go picking it. Like individual right. like kernels off of the dead body itself. It's yeah, no, it nice was all too. it was all very nicely packed up for them to just like see the burial mound, it's dig it up, these and little take hills. It. I don't really like this though. <laughs> I don't think I terrible? like it. I don't think I like it. I think that's I think that's a uh, that's bad juju. I'm surprised. You know what? If the if the movies have taught me anything, I'm surprised that they survived that yeah, that curse. Right. When you say bad juju, you mean like ju. Not like... Bad juju. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. Yes. Well, shalom. I do mean J-U, J-U. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So no Jews on the Mayflower. We've, we've gone through all the Jewy things about the Mayflower people. But then I was like, now I want to Google who was the first Jewish person to come to the United States. Like, how long did it take after the Mayflower? It was 40 years before the Mayflower. <laughs> wow. 
the first Jewish person. Actually, that's not even true because there were Jews traveling with Columbus. Okay. And some of them made it to Cuba. Wow. And so that officially, those are the first Jews to come to America. Well, I guess, yeah, the Americas. The Americas. But if we're talking about the colonies, you know, the East Coast, which is where we're kind of focused today, 15 and 1600s East Coast, um, a guy named Joachim Gans came in 1585 as part of the Roanoke Colony in North Carolina. Hmm. That colony existed from like 1585 to 1590. Hmm, That's not too long. It was not. You know what happened? So there were like 120 people there. And whatever ship they came over on was like, okay, we're going to go back to England and we're going to restock and we're going to bring you more supplies. And then something happened in England, like a war broke out and they kind of lost track of time. And like two years later, they came back to Roanoke. And it was just, like, deserted. Oh, no. Like, they have no idea what happened to the people. Ah. There were, like, rumors that, like, oh, there are some European people living with the natives. And there were, like, rumors that they had all died. But nobody ever really knew what happened to them. This is some wild, creepy shit. Right, Like, the whole thing, like, all of this sounds like a horror movie. Yeah. This guy, Gans, this, like, first Jewish guy, he was an expert in analyzing and sourcing metals. And Jewish people weren't supposed to go to the British colonies because they were outlawed, but there weren't that many people who knew how to find gold. Mm. Uh. And since this guy was like a metals expert, I think it was a queen at that point who was like, okay, we'll make an exception to, for this one Jewish guy to help us find gold. They didn't find gold. He did find iron, silver, and copper. Um, he ended up going back on one of the boats. He didn't stay in Roanoke. He stayed for a year or two and went back and continued to live in England and was eventually tried for blasphemy. What the yeah. fuck? But got out of it because he had like a friend in high places mm-hmm. who like excused him, but then nobody knows what happened to him. This is wild. Right. By the 1650s, so like 25 years after the pilgrims landed, there are like whole Jewish communities. Hmm. Uh, a guy named Solomon Franco is considered the first Jewish people person to l- really live here, the Massachusetts Bay Colony, 1649. But by 1654, there was a community of at least 23 Jewish people in Manhattan and another settlement in Newport, Rhode Island by the 1660s. Hmm. So, huh. um, Jews go back to Manhattan yeah, all the time. Yeah. Right. Were they like the originals in Manhattan or just... There were so, by the 1640s, there were so many people in Manhattan. Wow. There were, by 1646, there were 18 languages being spoken in Manhattan. Crazy. Popular destination. That's like one heck of a history, too. Yeah. Like, they already had, like, their little, like, Jewish... They had a deli. They had (laughs) Asser Levy was a kosher butcher in Manhattan in 1654. I'm just picturing it. Yeah, it's like you got like the Italian neighborhood and you got the Jewish neighborhood and like all these like ethnic neighborhoods like there are now. Okay, so this is jumping ahead slightly, but Manhattan 1646, here's who was there. Dutch, Flemish, Walloons, which is like somewhere between France and Belgium, French, Danes, Norwegians, Swedes, English, Scots, Irish, Germans, Poles, Bohemians, which is like Czech Republic, Portuguese, and Italians. Hmm. So super, super diverse, like white people diverse, Mm -hmm. like some were pale and some had olive skin, but still diverse for like... 
what you would expect in the 1640s. Well, there's definitely... So this must have just been like a thing where, you know, one colony settlement went up and was like, hey, they did it. Let's do it too. And it was just like all of a sudden, like, it was probably just a, like a literal land grab. Like, yeah. People in their companies were like, let's get our people out there. Mm-hmm. Let's go. The indigenous people were pretty good at beating back the colonists in Manhattan, which was called New Amsterdam at the time. And that is, like, they forced the colonists down to, like, the southern end of the island. And that is where Wall Street got its name. That's where the wall was protecting the colonists from those mean savages who were trying to hurt them for no reason. Wow. That's interesting. I didn't know that's where Wall Street came from. So there was, like, a wall on Wall Street once upon a time. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, Okay. So there's your first... Jewish immigrants. So then I was like, well, when did the first Muslim immigrants come here? How long afterwards was 1970. that? 1970. Dude, 1527. <laughs> 90 <laughs> years before the pilgrims landed. Damn. <laughs> this guy um, this guy doesn't totally count because he didn't come to the New England area that we're talking about. His name was, it was 1527. His name was Estevanico of Azamor. He was a Moroccan guide to the Spanish, and he was from Florida, or he ended up in Florida mm. and stayed. Okay. And stayed. Yeah. So first Muslim, 1527. Cray cray. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. That's really nuts. Africans coming here. I read like different... Free Africans? No, no. Africans Africans? being brought here. African people being brought here. I read two different figures. In one place, I read... 10 to 20% of them were Muslim. In another place, I read that up to 50% of them were Muslim. That's wild, too. And many were still, at least for a little while, able to, like, secretly practice Islam when and where they could. Holy shit. So that was interesting, too. I didn't realize that such a high number of the slave population was Muslim. Yeah, that's wild. I didn't realize that either. I tried to look up... um, Hindus and Buddhists as well. They came much later. Um, First reports of Hindus in the U.S., late 1700s. um, Buddhists, early half of the 1800s. So Um, are the pilgrims the first ones to come over that successfully settled here without dying? Yes. Um, The two previous bigger colonies were the Roanoke colony in 1585 that we talked about that no one knows what happened to them. Jamestown, 1607, um, everyone died the first winter from disease. That was like 400 or 500 people. And two diseases ran through them at once. Like somebody got on the boat sick. Like Mm. people were dying on the boat. And then like literally no one survived the first winter. Wow. Terrible. Damn. Um, Oh, we didn't talk about the Catholics. We mentioned them in our Halloween episode. 1634, uh, Maryland had like a big Catholic community i know they're christians but like these like weird evangelical christians and the weird catholic christians don't always get along very well Mm-mm. yeah no they it's don't so Real funny i've got some co- i've got cousins on both sides mm-hmm. and it's so great seeing them fight online <laughs> it's really funny your catholic relatives are pretty conservative they are though. they believe in magic still i mean <laughs> Ah, uh, I don't, I, you're all crazy. I don't know what to say. I don't know. There's, you know, it is magical. <laughs> Anyways. Um, okay, so I was surprised to learn 
I like once again, thank you to the US educational system. The first ship of enslaved African people landed in Virginia 1619, a year before the Pilgrims. Huh. 30 people, 29 or 30 people, arrived in Port Comfort, Virginia and were sold to the governor. And I read a little bit about like what happened to them. Like some of them were kept track of and you could see who lived on this farm and who lived with these people or whatever. But like there wasn't really a there wasn't, I mean, Virginia was where the pilgrims were supposed to go. So mm. someone was there. Mm -hmm. But there wasn't a community there. So it's weird that that's where they ended up. The first slaves in the U.S. all came from the same place. It was the kingdom of Ndongo. It was like pretty advanced agriculturally. There were like a lot of blacksmiths, textile weavers, urban areas. Like wow. it was like the way you would imagine any fucking city surrounded by towns, surrounded by agriculture, anywhere on the planet at this time. Like they were doing great. Mm -hmm. Everything was fine. And then Portugal invaded like a neighboring country and everything was okay for a while, and then shit turned bad. So um, the Portuguese enslaved, like, pretty much the entire population of this kingdom. It was a different kind of slavery in Africa prior to this. It wasn't like this chattel slavery. Mm, mm -hmm. it, there were, like, a lot of laws protecting slaves and describing how they had to be treated and what they were entitled to. It wasn't just like the crazy fucking free-for-all yeah, that, it that we had here. Mm -hmm. These people, the original like 29 or 30 people, it was a horrible trip over here for everyone. But there were supposed to be 200 people on the boat. There were 350. Ooh. You can imagine the situation. Mm -hmm. um, half of them died en route. And then... They were headed to Mexico because it was Portugal who had them, and that's where the Portuguese um, colonization was happening, and that's where they were headed. But in the Gulf of Mexico, their ships were intercepted by English pirates. Hmm. And so the pirates took possession. They, like, kidnapped the slaves from the kidnappers, right? And so that's how somehow 29 or 30 of them ended up on this one pirate ship. Jeez. And ended up in Virginia. Wow. But, like, 1619, slavery was here before the pilgrims were here. It's crazy. Yeah, I know the New York Times says that one podcast that, like, is where, like, this whole critical race theory mm -hmm. thing has spawned from that then became, like, an educational program. Is that 1619 Project? 1619 Project. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, the podcast that I listened to that was really interesting about, like, race in the beginning of slavery was that scene on radio um seeing white seeing white the seeing white season it was really interesting if anybody wants to go and like listen to how um all of it started from the beginning to today i recommend it so then i was curious like how much longer it took for the first free black person to come to the u.s and what year was that 1513, the first free African person. Oh, so even earlier. <laughs> even earlier. Earlier than the Muslim person? Over 100 years before the pilgrims were here. This guy has a story. Um, his name is Juan Garrido. He moved from Africa to Portugal to Spain. That's how he ended up eventually in Mexico, where he was the first black conquistador. Hmm. Oh. 
Wow. He also claimed to be the first person to plant and harvest wheat in the New World at all. Shit. Hmm. So I don't know if it's true. The first colonizer. Yeah. I know. He kind of was. That's It's interesting. Like, um, he helped destroy the Aztec Empire. He was mining gold with slave labor. Like, he, it was... I mean, this kind of just throws a whole wrench into the whole situation now, huh? Isn't that something? It is. He um, He's most famous for... Um, Traveling with Ponce de Leon to look for the Fountain of Youth. No That's shit. how he ended up in Florida. That's what makes him the first free black person in the U.S. Hmm. because he ended up in Florida looking for the Fountain of Youth. Wow. That is crazy. And then I'm wondering, because that sounds like a Spanish name, did he take on a Spanish name after leaving Africa? It does sound like a Spanish name. And I don't know where in Africa he was from. I should have um, looked into this a little further. But, you know, because he wasn't in the right place i didn't want to go too far down that rabbit hole history is complicated you guys yeah <laughs> it really is yeah so let's take a minute to talk about the indigenous people who were just going about their fucking lives when all of this shit just started like washing up on their shores <laughs> um so the wampanoag wampanoag means people of the dawn because they were, like, way over on the East Coast. So they were where yeah. the sun rose, right? I really like that name. Right. They were farmers, primarily. Like, 70% of their diet was corn and beans. Mm-hmm. 70%. Hmm. They did a lot of fishing. They had some meat, you know. They grew other vegetables, eggs, whatever. But, like, these were, like, farming communities. They were using this land it's not like they were just like wandering through every now and then this was like they were using this land they were settled yes and they'd been there for like tens of thousands of years in the 1600s there were like 40,000 Wampanoag people they lived in 67 villages in the area wow Martha's Vineyard was like basically the home ground um there are now four to five thousand living now um, and not there? In Massachusetts. Oh, they are still there. Okay. Yeah, there are. Is there a reservation some, yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, like on Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Good. Wow. Yeah, surprising, right? Huh. So Thanksgiving, it was not that first Thanksgiving. It was not the pilgrims like, hey, do you guys want to come over and have some turkey? It we was- got a cornucopia. <laughs> 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 it was, oh, first of all, it was in like July. Was this like party? Oh shit! And what happened was the pilgrims brought in the harvest, and they were so excited that they had actually managed to farm. Because by the way, the pilgrims knew nothing about farming at all. They were not farmers. They were okay. not farmers, and they also knew nothing about fishing. Okay. They were like, how the useless. fuck were they supposed to survive? They just used to getting provisions. Yeah. Well, they just assumed they would, you know. <laughs> Look, Marcus, if we had to go make it in the new world. We could figure it out. I'm yeah, sure man. they probably saw people fish and put fucking seeds in the ground. God yeah. will provide. Right. That's that's all you got to tell yourself. Land of milk and honey. That's, that's right. it. Do you think that it is possible that they got some like advice they from did. the native people? Squanto specifically had learned some English from somebody in Roanoke, mm. and so he was actually extremely helpful in like showing them how to plant the. <laughs> Corn, although apparently he didn't ask, like, where'd you get all this corn? Yeah. <laughs> over the winter. This is basket. weird. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys weave this way too? Yeah, no, I don't know. 
Um, so the, <laughs> the pilgrims were all excited, and they're, like, shooting muskets into the air to celebrate the harvest. And so the, the Wampanoag warriors were like, oh, shit, we better get a posse together and see what these crazy white dudes are up to. Yeah. Because yeah. it sounds like they've captured someone, and it's trouble, and we better make sure it's not some of our guys. So... 90 warriors, men only, just warriors, went to go, like, check it out and then decided to, like, camp nearby for three days just to keep an eye on them. Mm -hmm. Because they were behaving in such a ludicrous way that they didn't trust what was going on. Look, rural white people are going to be rural white people. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) The more things change. (laughs) So, yeah, that's the first, like, this big, wonderful feast actually was not, they were not even invited to the feast. They were just hanging out nearby to oh. make sure the white people weren't too crazy. And I thought you were going to say they, like, accidentally hit a turkey. I don't. While they were shooting. <laughs> like, hey, this fucking place is great. Yeah, birds falling out of the sky. I hate to be the one to break it to you. You're too young for WKRP in Cincinnati, so I'll tell you, turkeys actually can't fly. <laughs> I was just going to say, I don't know that they fly. You know. I I think they're a ground pen- bird. Yeah. I mean. Like penguins. Look, in my fantasy world, they're flying, and the pilgrims accidentally hit them. <laughs> and then that's how Thanksgiving started. And they were like, hey, guys, come on over. It's a beautiful story. Yeah. Beautiful. Abraham Lincoln is given credit for, like, making up the Thanksgiving story because after the Civil War or during the Civil War, he needed, like, some way to get people to, like, realize we're all one. Come together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In the 80s and 90s, the Wampanoag were still fighting the U.S. government for tribal land protection. The 1980s and 90s. They were still fighting the U.S. government. They're currently down to 477 acres. Okay. Let me just say something about, like, reparations to Native American Indians. Like, right now, the U.S. and the state governments basically control all of the land that we live on overall. Mm -hmm. Why can't we give some of this back to the Native people and let them become our government? Like, our government overlords. Like, like turn the whole government over? Well, I think that's like when people are talking about, like, land reparations, that's what they're talking about. They're not necessarily talking about taking everybody's house, mm-hmm. you know? They're talking about, like, being the ones who the tax dollars go to. And, I mean, obviously, then they would have to take on some responsibilities, like fixing the sidewalks and stuff. But, you know, like, there could be some way to... Like, make it happen. If indigenous people were in charge, we would definitely be socialist, and it would be awesome. We'd all be getting health care. That's my, that's my prediction. Yeah. I love it. I love the idea. Let's do it. So, unfortunately, there are no Wampanoag coffee roasters. So mm. we could not have Wampanoag roasted coffee. Um, so then I just started searching out indigenous coffee roasters, and there are a bunch, a bunch. Cool. Um, most of them are out west because okay. for some reason there just are a lot fewer indigenous people out east these days. But um, I found two coffee roasters on Long Island, hmm. which is as close as I could get. That was okay. like literally like the closest location to Plymouth Rock, basically. One of them is called Thunder Island Coffee, and that's 
uh, located on the Shinnecock Reservation. And the first roaster for the coffee that we're doing today came from that reservation. Mm. All women roasters today, ah, by the way. No way. Yes. That's pretty cool. So we ended up with native coffee traders, also from Long Island. That's the Puspatuck Reservation, and it is the Unkachog Nation. And I chose them because I looked at both of these coffee roasters online, and I liked the descriptions of the coffee better hmm. at this one. Cool. Um, I don't think the other one would have been a bad choice, but this one... Seemed more up our alley. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. So, Puspatuck is the reservation, and Puspatuck means where the waters meet. And that's mm. because um, saltwater and freshwater, both. Like, there's the ocean, of course, and some saltwater rivers mm. that meet up with some freshwater rivers. Oh, neat. Yeah. And then, Unkachog means people from beyond the hill. The Puspatuck Reservation was originally... 1,500 acres. That was agreed upon in the 1650s. No, I'm sorry. It was originally several thousand acres that was agreed upon with the king. That was the agreement they made originally with the king Hmm. in the 1650s. Oh, shit. Wow. So they've been doing that shit since the 1600s? Yes. Then they went down to 1,500 acres. They're now at 55 acres. What? Uh, What? That's not much at all. It is the smallest reservation in... On, like, the East Coast or whatever. That's, like, four blocks. It's tiny. Four blocks square or something crazy. <clears throat> Jeez. Wow. Well, the United States says it's... The U.S. government says it's 110 acres. Mm. Well... Do they round up or... <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Isn't that a ridiculous thing that they're still arguing over? I don't know. I mean, that's quite the discrepancy. It's a... I mean, it's huge. There are... Around 270 people living on the reservation, which is quite a lot on 55 acres. Um, There are 450 total members of the Unkachog Nation. So it is like a tiny, tiny group. They are recognized by the state of New York, and they did prove to the Supreme Court in 1901 that they met the criteria for being recognized federally. But for some reason, they're still not being recognized federally. The location is, um, if I don't, like, if you're not familiar with the East Coast, so, like, Rhode Island it's like, um, west of New York City and, like, south of Connecticut, there's, like, the Long Island Sound and then Long mm. Island. But, like, the Hamptons, that's, like, where this reservation is. Oh. Like. Uh, yeah. So maybe that's why they keep trying to cut the land back. So they, um, much like the Wampanoag, they were mostly an agricultural and fishing community. They've been big fishers for a long time. Mm. I listened to a podcast featuring Harry Wallace, who is the chief of the Unkachog Nation and also the founder of Native Coffee Traders. Okay. And then his niece, Amy Wallace, is the current roast master and has been for 10 or 11 years. So I listened to a podcast featuring both of them called Unfuck the Republic. Huh. It's a great name for a podcast. I want to listen to more episodes. Yeah. So this company has been around since it was founded in 94 by Harry Wallace. Harry Wallace has been the chief also since 1994 and is also an attorney. 
And man, he went for a lot in '94. He's a fucking badass. Yeah. He's like, I need to become an attorney because my people are going to need me, and mm. of course they did. Wow. He has faced uh, Mario Cuomo and uh, Michael Bloomberg in court. Wow. Who both tried to sue the reservation for selling things and not charging tax. Like if you have a tobacco shop on a reservation, you don't have to pay taxes on the tobacco you sell. And that's really annoying when the mayor of New York puts a $6 tax on every pack of cigarettes. Wow. And then you have like lines miles long of people wanting to buy your cigarettes because $6 a pack. Yeah. When you figure that on a carton, like, yeah, people are going to drive out and buy your cigarettes. <laughs> right. right. So also um, the Unkachog have been fighting New York over fishing rights. Even like as recently as 2021, they were fighting over fishing rights. It's insane. Wow. There's a big um, language rec- reclamation project too. A lot of Native people are talking about this, that like the loss of language leads to the loss of everything else. Mm -hmm. So that's just something that Harry Wallace is like super into. He talks a lot about economic development and how access to capital is denied to Native people. You can't take out like a, a home equity loan. You can't take out a mortgage on reservation land. You know what I mean? I wonder if this has something to do with what I was just reading about land trusts. Mm-hmm. It has some parity and land trust. Those words are somehow involved in what you're talking about right now. Oh, shit. Yeah, I didn't look too hard into, like, details of this because you know how much I love more economics. <laughs> but um, it's really hard for Native people to build capital. Mm. Right? So... Business is something that Harry Wallace has really tried to focus on, like small businesses that will bring income back to the reservation in different ways. And so coffee roasting was just like sort of a random like, huh, what about this idea? Um, Everybody drinks coffee. Everybody drinks coffee. Can't fail. And, you know, the Unkachog have been in business. They opened... um, a whaling company in 1676. It was like the first whaling company wow. in New York. So hmm. there's a history of them being like in business. So he was arguing that like smoke shops and casinos and gas stations, even though they're like kind of frowned upon or seen as kind of sketchy or whatever, like how else are indigenous people supposed to raise capital? There's like not any other way to do it. Mm -hmm. And by raising capital through casinos and gas stations and tobacco shops, then you can start investing that capital in businesses that are actually important to indigenous people. Um, yeah, like you go for like the li- like the low-hanging uh, fruit of like these addictive. Yeah. You know what I mean? The uh, ones the that vices. Are con- uh, yeah, the vices. Yeah. You start out there, you know, it's like high return, like a high return on investment. I mean, maybe it's a little, yeah, like you said, a little sketchy, maybe, you know, morally questionable, but, you know, it gets you money. Right. And then once you got big cash... Then you can have the largest wampum factory in North America, what which is, is it? what the Unkachog have done. What's the what's a wampum factory? Wampum is like the beads that are made from clamshells. Okay. That were traded as money. 
Yeah. Huh. I guess that's their deal. Okay. They oh, have right. a big factory. And they like sell them to gift shops and stuff yeah. or people who make jewelry? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Great. Huh. And do they get their shells like locally then? Yes. That's yes. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Which they've always done. Like they've always done this. this yeah. This is what they've always, always done. But they found a yeah. way to monetize it. Yeah. In this like society and, you know, capitalistic situation that they found themselves in. Yeah. That's great. So um, Amy Wallace is the roast master at Native Coffee Traders. She was 11 years old in 94 when her uncle, Harry Wallace, opened up this roastery, and she was fascinated by it, like, from that age. Aww. She, like, listened to them talk about where to source the beans, and she was, like, fascinated by the roasting, and it was a woman, um, oh, Becky Janai, is the former roastmaster who came over from Shinnecock, which is the other reservation where they're roasting. Becky taught her everything about how to roast. Everything they do is organic, fair trade, and it's all South American and Central American and Mexican coffee. They don't get any from Africa. It's all from the Americas. And they're careful about farmers, indigenous farmers specifically. They care a lot about workers' rights. Like, everything she said was, like, the right thing. She never said the word third wave. Sure. But it was all, everything she said was, like, lined up with what, you know, with what you should say, right? She says that she is there for every batch that's roasted. Um, Rainforest Alliance and Bird Friendly are things they look for. She hates dark roasted coffee. Mm. She thinks you should be able to taste all those cupping notes. Does this sound familiar? It's like I was listening to her talk and I was like, this is exactly what Marcus said to me the first time he talked to me about coffee, all of it. On a really busy day, she roasts about 300 pounds. Wow. They have five employees. If you order coffee on their website, it was roasted within the last three days. Just like us. Yeah. Just like us. You know? Do you want to know what her roaster's name is? It's Big Mama. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Look at that. Isn't that cute? Big Papa and Big Mama. I smell a collaboration. I don't know if she'd collaborate with us, but I'd love to collaborate with her. She's got quite a reputation within, like, the indigenous coffee community, which is not huge, right? Right. But it's there. It exists. And I'm just, like, really, really excited to see what this coffee tastes like because, I mean, she just said all the right things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I really... I'm excited about it. It would be really cool to see more representation in the specialty coffee world. I mean, I never even, like, why would it never even cross my mind about an indigenous specialty coffee roaster? Right. You know? It just, it seems like, so, I don't know, now, like, that I'm realizing that it never crossed my mind. I'm like, that's kind of fucked up. There should be more representation, like... Maybe she should be giving, you know, a talk at the Specialty Coffee Association Expo, uh, like a featured speaker, because they have speakers on all sorts of different topics. But I don't think I remember seeing anything about indigenous people in coffee. And like when you think about it, so many of these coffee growing communities are like the coffee is grown by indigenous people to those areas. Mm Mm-hmm. So really, I mean, there's a really strong link to, from indigenous people to specialty coffee. I mean, she really thinks so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, shall we brew some coffee? I would love to. Let's do it. 
Modest Coffee roasts the highest quality, single-origin coffees without the snobbery. They take the guesswork out of buying specialty coffee by carefully curating green coffees and sorting them to one of their tiers, based on cupping score, price, flavor notes, and roast level. Go to www.modest.coffee forward slash no bad reviews to see what they're roasting today. Pip pip cheerio! Okay, so. Olfactory reveal. All right, first the bag. It says it's grown and roasted by indigenous people along ancient trading trails. It's organically grown, chemical free, Arabica beans. Um, they're the product of native communities from the cooperative family from cooperative family farms in Mexico, Guatemala, um, Honduras, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Peru. This one says that's just probably people who they work with. This yeah. one is a Weiwei Tenango, Guatemala, um, organic fair trade rainforest alliance, uh, 1650 MASL. It's mm. meters above sea level. Yeah, that's high. Washed, notes of orange, honey, and hints of cherry. It's a medium roast or a medium light roast? It says medium. Okay. And then... And then it says they have seven other blends. It smells really good. It does smell it really good. It smells really good in the bag. Here. Yay! Good coffee, maybe. Oh, this maybe. does smell better yeah. than I... We don't get a ton of good coffee. Yeah. No. Quite tasty smelling. Kind of chocolatey, kind of toasted, almondy, a little, little bit of nutty, a little bit of nuttiness to it mm. that I like. Yeah, it smells good. All right. Um, she, the roaster, was bitching in the podcast I listened to about like the giant roasters and how people just like set them and when they hit four hundred and fifty degrees, they dump them and all that coffee's burnt mm-hmm. and just like all the things, all the things I hear yeah, from. Yeah, I feel like all I've literally verbatim said yeah. that. I know. <laughs> I mean, like it sounds like. <laughs> No, she was just so great. She was like, "You, I roast by listening to the crack. I adjust the airflow. I adjust the flame. I listen for the crack. That's how you roast coffee. Good for her. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Okay. Seriously, good That's for cool. her. Yeah. I have to say it is so nice to hold a warm mug right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. no kidding. For Ugh. those of you who aren't in Chicago, if you're someplace warm, guess what? It's not warm here anymore. It um, In the mug, it smells a little darker. It doesn't look very dark, though. They've roasted it past medium, I think. This coffee has a little more bitterness than I was expecting. Yeah. Because it smelled so good in the bag. Mm-hmm. And the oils that were present on top of the beans. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Mm-mm. So that to me says they've taken it into second crack a little bit, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just not what I would define as a medium roast. I think this one's probably pretty similar to like what we call our dark roast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's what I was about to say is that I think yeah. like our dark roast by some people's standards could be considered more of like a medium because it's really not that Agreed. dark. Yeah. for sure. Yeah. Right. Let me get some milk. I feel like this would do better with a little milk too. I think it's good actually. My first sip, yeah. it felt a little bit bitter, like more bitter, but as I took a few more sips, um, like mellowing out a yeah. bit for me. Yeah, it's smooth. It says that it's flavorful roast rises to the expectations of a beautiful night and Mm. what's at night darkness darkness right (laughs) and it's a beautiful night it's smooth i think it's a well-executed darker roast yeah you know i enjoy a darker roast as you know i drink our dark roast pretty much exclusively and i really like this yeah um it is it is a little darker than i expected it to be and i was actually 
hoping for something lighter specifically for you. And then after I heard her on the podcast talking about how much she enjoyed the light roast, I was also hoping this would be a little lighter. I'm kind of surprised by that, Um, right? But I think it's just like right up my alley. I'm really happy with it. Yeah. Um, Look, and I appreciate a good dark roast um, for, for people that like cream right and sugar tend, right. tend to have something that stands up a little more mm-hmm. to that um and i have a feeling that this is going to go really well together so i didn't hear this podcast until after we had ordered this coffee unfortunately mm-hmm. yeah um but she said that her favorite roast is the viva so okay. i was just looking that one up on the website to see what that one is yeah with some milk i really think that that um makes it much more smooth the Viva is a Peruvian light roast. Okay. Fully washed. 1,400 to 1,600 meters. Citrus, chocolate, smooth, clean finish. I would be intrigued to try one of the other roasts just to see what her lighter roast looks like compared to our lighter roast. But I'm yeah. totally digging this um, medium, they call it, the mm-hmm. Evening Star. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I don't need to add anything to it. I'm happy. For me, I added a little bit more than a little milk. Um, I got it really kind of milky and creamy looking. Um, and that, to me, I think is really nice. I think it's got a good balance between, like, the roasted coffee kind of bitterness and then, like, the sweetness and the smoothness of the milk. I think it pairs excellently together. So, Yeah, I think this yeah. is a really good with milk, too. Like, if this were also, I think it would stand up really well as a latte yeah. or as a cappuccino. Yeah, um, sure. I think because it has that little bit of bitterness to it, it would also stand up really well if you wanted to do, like, a mocha. Because, like, that little bit of sweetness and that and then milk, like, all of the, the protein in milk, it just gives me, like, a little energy boost to get through to the end of the day. And, like, if I'm using a coffee that is too light or starts out too sweet, when I had, add those additives, it just, it's gross. And mm. so this is, when as I'm drinking it, that's exactly where I'm thinking is, this would be so good as an afternoon coffee. Yeah. And this does remind me of, like, more of a European style, like, stronger roaster, more robust mm-hmm. um, kind of coffee, um, which, again, stands up really well to milk. Yeah. And we know in Boston, that's, like... You know, that's how they drink the coffee. They want it with cream and two sugars, Boston style. Interesting. I like a little hint of bitterness, so I don't need I don't need to cut it. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the coffee's great. I'm happy with the coffee. Yeah. 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 And I really love the story behind the coffee. Me too. And I'd really love to see more indigenous representation in specialty coffee. Yeah. Right. I think it's a real disappointment that that's not a thing, especially if like Specialty Coffee Expo was so close to right. where these people are roasting yeah. and in the place where these people have resided mm-hmm. for th- tens of thousands of years or whatever. So who's this coffee for? This coffee is definitely for fucking everybody. Come on. We should be, everybody should be supporting indigenous people and indigenous groups. And um, I don't, I don't want to say like, you should just blindly support somebody to like make up for past wrongs, you know? And I also don't necessarily want to take on responsibility for like wrongs that like I didn't or my ancestors didn't perpetuate. But I think I do have a responsibility as somebody living in society at this time and a society that in the past did do so much harm to help undo some of that harm. And, and I'm not saying that we should support this coffee roaster 
because they're indigenous. I think we should support this coffee roaster because it's good. They're indigenous and they're trying to do the right thing in coffee or what I consider to be the right thing. I think that, you know, we're aligned in our values. Sure. I think pilgrims will like this coffee. <laughs> <laughs> the, co- the coffee beans that were stolen from the graves. Oh, man. <laughs> that was so fucked up. Uh, yeah, I think um, I think what a f- it's like a fun thing to put this kind of coffee on your Thanksgiving table, right? I mean, if you're yeah. going to be talking about this shit, if you're going to be thinking about this shit, mm. like, why not? put some money towards indigenous people on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Why not do that? You know what? That's a great point, especially as we're planning our Thanksgiving dinner right now, today, after we're done recording. Like, how can we? I don't know if there's even a way for us to, like, incorporate some indigenous elements into our meal right now. I wonder if there's, like, indigenous... Corn? Um, oh. There are cranberry growers, indigenous cranberry growers. But is it easy to find today when I got to go grocery shopping? You know, like right. maybe it's worth it. Decorations? To take... You said that they're doing like, you know, beads and shit. But like, yeah. where can I go today to buy those things? So I guess this is what, I'm, what I'm saying is that as you're doing your shopping, you could be thinking about, oh, maybe I'll do a little bit of research and see if like the Woodman sells like an indigenous owned product like a company that's indigenous owned i mean they're a wisconsin company there's a wisconsin reservation Uh up there so like you know it it's it's very likely that i could find some indigenous owned products when i go out shopping today but it just takes me that little bit of extra work to do the research before i head out hey love it let's make that a challenge listener challenge go support a native american today yeah can you support a native american indian owned business Love it. And speaking of love it. Oh, shit. We don't even know what we're doing for Love It or Leave It today, do we? Oh, boy. It's going to be a surprise for us, too. Oh, Oh, yeah. Well, stay tuned for that. Or you can join on patreon.com forward slash no bad reviews pod. And you can hear what we love or leave today um, after this episode. We're going to do some fun recording. Um, But, but yeah, I think, uh, is that our episode? I think that's our episode. Our deepest sympathies on this Thanksgiving, everyone. Is that an appropriate way to end? Is that too down? You know, I mean, a lot of people have to spend time with their family. So I think our deepest sympathies, we can send those out. Uh, If you need it, it's for you. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, and just remember the reason for the season. Grave Robin Pilgrims. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast, generously sponsored by Modest Coffee, purveyors of single-origin coffee without the snobbery. Visit www.modest.coffee forward slash no bad reviews to see what they're roasting today. Enjoy.